Hello and welcome to We March On with Stephen Tom, the unofficial Southampton FC podcast in partnership with the Believe Podcast Network. Now, Tom, it's the return of the Premier League. Finally, we can talk about a match that's taken place and we're also celebrating 10 years in the top flight on this week's episode. Yeah, it's a big episode. Also, a big episode for advertisement of our Twitter handle. As you can see, it's been written uh, for those watching uh, in permanent marker in the smallest handwriting that you have, Steve. So, yeah. I, which I like. But we've also put some kits in the background. We've gone all out on this no episode. No expense three. spared yeah. in any of this, as yeah. you can see. I mean, this is top quality plastic, right? I believe. Here. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is I didn't actually feel it's not often I go to someone's house and feel their walls but this 3D, well worth it three dimensions <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting mate. yeah we finally got a studio which yeah. is kind of cool um but yeah so thank you as well to Saints Brass for providing our intro music we so love good. all the stuff that they do as well also make sure to follow us on all the social media stuff we've got a TikTok now at we march on pod we've got our Twitter at we march on pod we've got our Instagram at we march on pod guess what Guess what? What? We're filming this for we the are. first time. I keep uh, looking if you up, tell. <laughs> I keep looking up at a camera going, this is not how we normally do it. We normally do it in Zoom. Uh, and therefore, we're able to just look at each other from a laptop and I could read my notes. But now being watched as well. But because filmed, we've got that, yeah. we're now on YouTube. Oh. So you can get to us at We March On Pod on YouTube as well. There's that film with Kevin Costner. If you build it, they will come. Mm. Mm. That's field what of Dreams. Field of Dreams. That's what they call St. Mary's, isn't it? It is Pitch the of Dreams. And hopefully it will be a Field of Dreams come next Premier League match. Because so far, we're off to a flying result of one loss. Yeah. 37 well, to go. I'm not panicking. No, a lot of people are panicking, Steve. Uh, we'll get on to that in a bit because yeah. the Ralph Out Brigade are already in full force. I've seen it all over Twitter. Bit too early in my opinion. But how have you been, Tom? What's very, new? Very well. Uh, what is new? Lots of things. Uh, personal uh, life. Uh, I finally got down on one knee and said, listen. Mazel tov. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, I did uh, that. And I said, listen, by the way, here's a disclaimer. I'm always still going to want to go to the football on a Saturday or Sunday or midweek or whenever it is. Please still allow that. And she said she's definitely going to think about it. So, yeah, very happy. Good, exciting week. Thanks, I Steve. was going to ask you because in my time working for Southampton, there's been, I believe, two proposals on the pitch at halftime. Yes. Um, I think we were actually there working together for one of them. We were. Did that ever cross your mind? <laughs> but proposing uh, to my girlfriend who's been to, she's been to one Southampton game yeah. uh, for the men's side, one Southampton game for the, uh, game for the women's side. Uh, hasn't seen them win. Uh, one draw, one loss. And uh, she really enjoyed watching Fulham. Uh, they were 3-0 <laughs> down at halftime against Brighton and came back to win 4-3 at Craven Cottage. So I think she's more of a Brighton fan. She's seen them play twice. Mm. So she said to me, she said, the away fans have so much more fun. So I think if we, if I was to propose, we'd have to go to an away match and do it there. And I think she'd have more of a party atmosphere. I think not, that's generally true. the same true. reception though, I don't think. Oh, no, no, definitely not the same reception, but she wouldn't care anyway. But she'd be like, at least we're amongst it. Um, we're, we're in the away section having a party. So that's what I've learned. Don't do it at St. Mary's. Do it on an away game. Fair enough. Right. Yeah. Well, should we crack on with the pod this week? We well, haven't said anything about yourself. Make it quick. Yes. Yeah, standard week. Been working, innit? Yeah. Like that's... <laughs> I've been paying them bills. Have Cost been... of living's going up, so I need to work doubly as hard now. Yeah, and I can tell by the gaffer tape that you used to stick my, <laughs> the kits up. Uh, beautiful. What about, have you mentioned on TalkSport about the possible signing for Southampton of Callum Hudson-Odoi? Have you mentioned that at all? Uh, no. 
because um, we haven't had our South Coast reporter or indeed our football man give us the okay to say TalkSport understands. If anyone doesn't know, I also work for TalkSport. Don't know yeah. if I can plug that on here. Um, Just did. Yeah, well, whatever. Sue me, TalkSport. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I believe there are reservations of Callum Hudson-Odoi joining Southampton. Okay. I think Southampton have, have asked what's his availability like and Chelsea have gone, he's available. He's got a pair of boots. He can definitely um, play and he's got shin But pads. he might not want to move to the South Coast. Now, I think a lot of people forget this is a player that just a couple of years ago, maybe two, three years ago, was linked with Bayern Munich. He was linked mm. with some of the biggest clubs in the world and ended up staying at Chelsea. Yeah, and now he's being linked with the biggest club on the South Coast, mm. hands down. Yes, I know Bournemouth won at the weekend. <laughs> Who cares? But the biggest club, he, he, if he knows what's good for him, you know, I know, yes, they're talking about Dortmund and Juve are also mm. interested. Uh, although I did see him say he's not so sure St. Mary's is the right place for him. And uh, I did see a couple of people tweeted, Southampton fans said, I don't think St. Mary's is the right place for us either, which is classic mm. Southampton banter. Yeah. Steve, yeah. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for Callum hudson Adore. I mean, he would be a great addition. Um, we'll get into the match at the weekend as well and talk about who impressed us and, and who didn't. Callum Hudson-Odoi would clearly add quality to that front line, can play on either wing, through the middle. It would be a great addition. Not a striker, though. I know what you're ending this on. Yeah. He's not a striker, and we definitely need one. Yeah, right. Well, we've got loads to come on the pod today. So, Tom, shall we get into it? Yes, please. Did you get a good tan up there at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? You were very high up, weren't you? Yeah, it's a lovely ground. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I've uh, been there a couple of times. I was there for one of the first matches. Not the first, because I believe the first was a Southampton under-18s game uh, against Tottenham under-18s uh, to open, to cut the ribbon, as it were, for the stadium. Um, but I was up there for Inter Milan-Tottenham, which Ooh. is one of the first games, a pre-season friendly um, before whichever season they, they started in that stadium. And it was great. But the thing that impressed me most, bar the lovely architecture, the acoustics, the seating, how the stadium looks and feels when watching a game, was the food and drink. Oh, mate, you've mentioned it. You mentioned this in the last episode. I think I mentioned episode. it in, in the first episode, maybe, yeah. Or might have been in the second. I can't remember. It's always on my mind, Tom. Uh, <laughs> food and drink, but Steve Yeah, Forbes. It's great. Like, the beer's good. Own brewery. Food's good. Um, this time, though... Oh, I didn't have to queue up like any old ninny muggins and get uh, get some chicken. Who says ninny muggins? <laughs> and get some chicken or a beer. Because I went up with a club, Okay. we went into the press room. Yeah. And I've been into Southampton's press room many a time. No disrespect. Food's always good. They get free bottle of water. When we were there, you used to get free gummy sweets as well. Oh, they were brilliant. And yeah. there was also a program. You could take a free yeah, program. Yeah, still get a program. Gummy sweets are gone though, oh, which is man. unfortunate. Cutbacks. Spurs are a different level, mate. Really? It's like a restaurant. And Does someone like, massage you? Oh, you <laughs> Come you, on, write that article. You've got it. You've got it, big there's boy. There's a personal barista. No. There's like, there's a coffee machine area and there's someone manning that station purely for coffee. You then have a selection of drinks. It's not just bottled water. They had uh, Coca-Cola, Fanta, Sprite and water, both sparkling and still. Okay. Um, Vimto? Was there Vimto? There was no Vimto. What about Ambongo? Sadly not. No, oh, no, no. Capra Sun either. <laughs> and then the food spread was, they had your, your meat option. It was like a, a slow roasted lamb with veggies. And then there was a vegan mac and cheese. They had a cheese board with pickles oh, and crackers cheese. and stuff. And then the pudding. Oh, for, for dessert, Tom. Yeah. It was Ferrero Rocher tort. 
I don't think I've I was never, expecting I've, you to say I've that. I've never seen a tort at St. Mary's, <laughs> if I'm honest. So <laughs> it was delicious. Mate, Absolutely delicious. It was part, it was probably one of the best things about going up there that day. I bet. I bet. I have to, I didn't know any of that was going on from your social media. I did really enjoy the photos and the pictures that are on uh, We March On uh, podcast. Uh, obviously, our Instagram and everything. Brilliant. Love those. But I just would have loved to have been in that number for the away section when Prousey scored. That that went off. And you even recorded that. It went off. Yeah. I mean, what a strike as yeah. well. I mean, no one saw that coming. No. After 12 minutes. Uh, the lovely little dink over from Gineppo and then Prousey on the volley, hitting it into the ground, looping up over Lloris. It was a thing of beauty. And, and as you said, like looking over to the away section and seeing it absolutely go off there was incredible. However, I mean, it didn't last too long. No, it didn't. But you know what? Watching Saints Live and, and watching you and Dean Hammond and Kenzie talk about it, it, it felt like the scoreline didn't, it was a bit, un, obviously it's unflattering, but they didn't play really that badly, Southampton. The, mm. But that that was, I think, the shame of the, the 4-1. It just, this the classic, heads dropped, body language changed, and we just, it was like... How many are Tottenham going to score? It was that panic, uh, uh, yeah. you know, watching. Revert to tight mentality slightly. And I think that's one thing that Ralph is probably trying to work out of the team now with a lot of new signings coming in, a lot of youth coming in as well. And as we've seen with so many young footballers with youth, you have that lack of fear, um, kind of gung-ho attitude, mm. essentially. And there were some real positives. I tell you what, Romeo Lavia oh, yes. looked incredible in the middle of the park. I mean, so composed for such a young player. And his Premier League debut as well. And, and on his debut, he just looked like he was meant to slot in to a, prem, to a Premier League side. And I'm not saying he would be able to do the same kind of job in maybe a top 16. Maybe he will, maybe he won't one day. But as a new young signing coming in, considering we've had Diallo on the books for a few years as mm. well, uh, and you've got experienced heads like Romeo, James Ward-Prowse. It was seamless. Mm. Footwork was excellent on the ball. Great, could pick out a pass. For me, I, I do really like Joe Rebo, and I think he's the kind of the special player in the team, other than Prowse maybe. But I'm really excited to watch more of Romeo Lavia. I think that mm. he could be sensational yeah uh, uh gav the big gav the big g the big goalkeeper in goal got his debut as well and so did uh joe rebo as you said for the new signings i thought they looked pretty composed but unfortunately i'm looking at this stat here it's now nine opening day games without a win mm. does it really matter i don't mean you have to go back to west bromwich albion uh, away 2013 we got a one nil win does that really matter no as long as the final outcome i just think that saints fans i'm me myself are like Oh, here we go. We had such optimism. But then was that unrealistic, I think, because it is Tottenham. They're going to be a top six, maybe top mm. four team. And they turned it on. And even Antonio Conte said, yeah, we went a goal down and then we just knew we had it. I think that difference between the two sides, once we went a goal up, Saints fans were like, unbelievable, playing Valerie and Gineppo and we've got a clean sheet <laughs> and we won their up. This is incredible. And then all of a sudden it went to the reality that we crumble when we take the lead. Whereas Tottenham were like, Oh no, we've got quality. We've got this. I think it's going to change. They'll get more confidence, Southampton and the players. Yeah. But yeah, it's too soon to be like, let's dismantle everything and let's set it on fire. Classic Southampton mentality. Yeah, it's it is the first game of the season. We have to really put that in perspective. And as I said uh, a little earlier, that you're seeing on Twitter hashtag Ralph Fowl, all the people getting so despondent about about the result. The result was poor. The performance mm. wasn't. Yeah, yeah, true. And, and Tottenham just took very 
good chances. Other than um, Salasu's own goal, which was slightly comedic, the way that he... Why was he playing it to the left side? Yeah, it was odd. Like, don't, don't ma- it doesn't matter if you fall over, Lee Sue. Just make sure the go- yeah, ball doesn't go to the line. he just left it. And it w- wasn't going in. He he put it in. Uh, oh. I don't think the ball was actually going in. Um, I think Stu Armstrong was even calling for him to leave it. And he didn't. I think, from memory, um, that happened. So other than that goal, Tottenham just broke the line twice for the first two goals for Dyer's header and for Sessegnon's header really well two excellent balls in yeah um and essentially they just beat their man which was just clinical finishing and great forward play now yes conceding four away from home isn't great but I think all in all it was there was loads of positives to take from that game yeah I just think what gets people very nervous on the south coast is the fact that we've heard this before after the last couple of seasons and it's like it's the same thing it's just it's repackaged that's what I'm not saying I necessarily think that but I feel like that's what people are beginning to believe that how, how when is it going to turn when is that kind of fortune going to say because we had all that optimism and then we're like 4-1 defeat and you're like ah oh, 37 more games to go and now we're panicking because it was always going to be a tough start to the season with the run we've got Watford then United then Chelsea mm. it's not and Leicester as well it, it's not going to be easy but I do take on board your point there's a lot of positives to take from it uh, for me though playing Armstrong and Arebo up front I get why Ralph did it because they scored in the preseason. but Che Adams like it doesn't always score that many, but he doesn't give up. He's a proper battler. And then there's talk about him maybe leaving the club. I'm, I don't know. What, give me some confidence, Steve. I'm, I'm getting emotional here. What's what's happening? Come on. D- d- should maybe play Che Adams, play a striker, an out-and-out striker for the next yeah, game against Leeds? I, I didn't particularly agree with with going for two attacking midfielders um, up top, taking Adam Armstrong off, who, who was quiet in that first half. It must be a kick in the guts to get taken off at half-time when... Something that was mentioned and and what I spoke to certain people about was that he needs to be confident. He needs uh, an injection of confidence, which includes giving him a run in the team Mm. and just keeping him out there, making him work hard. Now, one thing with with Adam Armstrong, we'll get into Shay in a sec, is that he does work hard. What I felt against Spurs, he was just getting out-muscled. He was getting bullied by their defenders and he just couldn't really... He, he was he was making the runs and not necessarily receiving the ball. Or if he did receive the ball, he was coming he was coming close, trying to get it to feet, and it gave him work to do. And then when he had that work to do, he couldn't quite get into a position to shoot. I think Adam Armstrong would really benefit from almost being a fox in the box, mm. as in he can make amazing runs and get in good, good positions. But what or I think that he doesn't necessarily have it in his locker just yet, from what I've seen, to. Receive a ball, drive at a defence, cut open an angle and shoot. What I think he's excellent at is getting in a great position, taking one touch and hitting the back of the net. Yeah. But at the moment, we're not essentially providing that kind of service to him where he can get in a position and just receive a ball and have very little to do other than hit the target, which is where I think his biggest strength is. As for Shea, absolute workhorse. Not the most clinical of finishers, but will never give up and certainly can't get bullied by defenders because he's a, he's he's a, a strong lad. boy. Yeah, 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 exactly. So both of them, I think, could really complement each other if Ralph stuck with that two up top. And I don't think that... I just don't think he will. Yeah, but but, but then that Monaco preseason game, when I was watching the two of them up front, he's like, he, you're right, he's like a fox in a box. He's a little terrier. He never gives up at a master. And same with with, uh, with Che Adams. Like, they just run about so much, but... 
you're right, all the shots in that first half were from outside the box. Mm. Where did both of those boys need to be? In the box, one one touch, bang. That that that's their ability, I, I think. And we just don't give them that service. So I'm I I agree with you. So it's I don't think anyone going up front at the moment is gonna have an easy job. <laughs> Right, so now's that time where we would have a short advertisement break mm. before coming to the pièce de la résistance of our podcast this week. Did I say that wrong? Uh, no, no, I no? was just enjoying it. That, what you saw there was me smiling. Right, okay. I, I mean, thought you, you said were the word taut. <laughs> pièce de la résistance. <laughs> and you had a little bit of an accent. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, Steve. Because we have got, this is a special episode this week. We have got a really good interview coming up. But before we get into that, um, we're going to do our Saints trivia question of the week. This time, Tom, I'm going to ask you and obviously everyone listening. Yep. We are celebrating 10 years in the Premier League between 2012 and 2022. So my question this week, from which club uh-huh. did Maya Yoshida, who signed for Southampton in the summer of 2012, come from? Ooh. Which club did Maya Yoshida come from? So you have a little think about that there, Tom, and yeah. everyone listening. Okay. And we'll be back after these short messages. Those are incredibly short messages there, Steve. Mm. Mm. If okay. anyone does want to sponsor the podcast, we have very, very many vacancies open. No, don't Spots? say that. The vacancies? No, no, don't say that. Say we're, we're inundated. Oh, that's it. And Drive just, up demand. Yeah, and we're choosing which one. Uh, will be best for us yeah. that suits us. A graphic designer would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> uh, the question, Maya Yoshida, uh, first Japanese player to come to the club was Tadanari Lee. Uh, then Maya Yoshida, uh, don't read his book, by the way. Awful book. Okay. Just thought I'd put that out there. He's aggressive. not on the pod. Uh, no, no, it's a brilliant book. Uh, I think I sounded sincere. Uh, he came from J- J- Japan. He came from Japan. That, no, he did I Japanese feel league. you're getting off so off topic and I can see your hair <laughs> sticking to your forehead where it's so hot in here. Right. I'm just saying right. Maya Yoshida. Which, I which club did Maya Yoshida come from, Tom? He came from Kishima Antlers. I've got no idea. <laughs> I've got no idea. I know he's at Schalke now. That's incorrect. Oh. Uh, so anyone listening at home, probably loads of Saints fans shouting on the train to work or wherever they're going, listen to this podcast in their tens, uh, will be uh, Maya Yoshida came from the Dutch side, VVV Venlo. Okay, again, wasn't expecting that to come out your mouth. Yeah. VVV Venlo. I think that's how you pronounce it. VVV Venlo. Ooh. All the Vs. Ah, oh, but he was, he started in Japan, the Japanese. Yeah, league. probably. He's Japanese. Of course he started in Japan. Okay, right. We're going to be like that, are we? Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> anyway. His autobiography book just wasn't that good. Yeah. That's all I'm just saying. Right, well. Hopefully some people got that. I right. had high expectations for that book and it wasn't as good as Franny Banali's. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> Talking of books of players that I would like to be released is our next guest, our first guest for the mm, podcast, Steve. Exciting. A top guy. Uh, now, I will confess, I feel like a confession is needed. Uh, we recorded with said guest uh, earlier on in the week. Mm-hmm. And I am excited to now welcome him. But how are we gonna how are we gonna introduce him when we already introduce him on our on our chat? Yeah. Well, fun. we give him a, a grand entrance, don't we? On yeah. the, on the actual interview. Which... I feel like rose petals were too much, though, Steve. You didn't appreciate those. <laughs> no, no, he really didn't. Um, but this is ten years of Southampton playing in the Premier League episode, and uh, this is a guy who got them there. Here it is. 
Right, so this season marks 10 years since Southampton gained promotion to the Premier League. And we've pulled some strings and asked some favours to get an insight into the club, the career and the life of one of the men who helped the Saints get into the top flight. Yes, we did, Steve. He joined Saints in August 2009, becoming captain just three months later. He led the club to the Premier League again, and he's also uh, got up from the Championship and League One uh, back in 2012. He made over 100 appearances for the club, scoring 11 goals. It's none other than the one and only Mr. Dean Hammond. Good to be here. I'm just listening to that, the 11 goals in over 100 games, that's one in 10. That's terrible, isn't it? That's a terrible rate. Do you think back and go, I could have, I could have done better? <laughs> I could have taken my chances more. You know there wasn't that many chances, Steve, I must admit. So in terms of that, I didn't miss too many. Oh, well, I probably did miss a few. But yeah, um, I wish it had been a little bit better, yeah. It would have been nice to score a few more goals. Who was the penalty? Was it Paul Watton back, back in the day? that Because you could have stepped up and had a few more penalties. No, Ricky Lambert took, took all the penalties. So I signed just after the Lambo. So there's no way I was getting the ball off him. But um, yeah, I didn't mind taking a penalty. You know, I used to take penalties at, at Brighton. I think I've taken 10, 11 in my career, missed one, I think. So yeah, I would have, I would have stepped up. But no, Lambo was not letting anyone near that ball. If we got a penalty, no chance. Even if you won the pen, did you never just yeah. pick it up and be like, nah, it's mine? Don't quite work. Like, it's not. It's not. Not on the playground, Steve. It don't quite work. Like, <laughs> like it's, uh, my there's ball, there's a chain of no, command. Yeah, it, it, there was no attempt. Put it that way. You know, no one attempted. Ricky just. I mean, he used to hit the ball so hard and never missed a penalty for, for Southampton. I think he missed one for Liverpool, maybe. I think, um, and that's in his career. So, no, he was so reliable, mate. He, when he took penalties, he was he was brilliant. I used to just when he stepped, I should just walk back to the halfway line. I knew he was going to score, generally did. I just to walk back and just get ready for thinking, right, what are we going to do next? Because um, he was so good at it. Well, we're going to talk about your career in a little bit, but we wanted to look back over Southampton's 10 years in the top flight. It's included four top 10 finishes, a run in Europe, two FA Cup semi-finals, and a League Cup final. So how do you rate the last decade for the Saints? Do you think they've overachieved, they're underachieved, or is it about right for them? Brilliant question. Um, I probably think they've overachieved, if, if I'm honest. You know, looking the recovery of the football club, getting back to the Premier League. And like you say, they've, they've got back into to Europe. I think when I signed, that was the dream that was mentioned. They were trying to get the club back to European competition. Um, they've done that. Had some really high finishes in the Premier League, been really competitive, had some brilliant managers, um, some good experiences as well. And as well, the players they've attracted to the football club has, has been amazing. And the way the club have played as well, it's not been, it's been entertaining football during, during that period. So it's been brilliant. And you've had players come through the youth system. So I think they've ticked almost every box, really. So I think they've, they've overachieved. And now it's a little bit more difficult uh, at the moment, at the present time. Um, but I think that's just the fact that the teams in the Premier League are so strong now and the finances are, are huge, especially for the bigger clubs. So it becomes harder and harder each year. And, I think Southampton are trying to find a different way again, you know, trying to bring the younger players in, develop them, make the team better, more exciting. Uh, but no, I think they've overachieved, Steve. I think it's been it's been amazing, really, the last 10 years. Um, I love the fact, Dean, um, and no one can see this, but when you said, Steve, that's a brilliant question. You should have seen his face light up. <laughs> it was a beautiful moment. Um, Just got the uh, podcast there. It, so that's that's it. It's a wrap. We're done. <laughs> got it in the bag. There's the, there's the sound bites for this week on social media. <laughs> 
it was a, it's an excellent question I, I feel like it's too it's too soon to ask the next one I wanted to ask about uh which was Ralph so um I feel like Dean I'd like to to take you back to 2009 uh it was uh the first year that you played for Southampton um an exciting team then in as much as they wanted to get back to uh, the championship they'd just been uh, relegated a 15 point deduction was in the team however Dean that's not where I'm going with the question 2009 what an epic year for music I would like to know Dean from your memory what was what was what was being played in the dressing room back in that time because there were some absolute bangers out at that point um for example uh Black Eyed Peas had had some some great tunes who else was it Steve we had a good JLS oh again Oh, I imagine that was in the dressing room. I'm pretty JLS? sure Justin Timberlake's sexy back was out as well in 20, <laughs> yeah, 2009. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you know what, guys? I'm going to disappoint you because I'm not big on my music. And um, that's one thing I really can't remember. So it's not going to be a good answer to this question. I can't honestly remember what was played in the dressing room, what sort of music. I can't even remember who, who had control of it. Usually one player is in charge of, of the music. and whatever Who had the Orcs cable? <laughs> it was when we was in the championship Danny Fox <laughs> take care of music when we was in the championship but league one not sure it was probably terrible I must admit I mean it wasn't I mean nowadays everyone has their own ear, um, earphones on whatever they're called um, listen to their own music and gets themselves set so do you know what guys I can't remember honestly can't remember what was played do you know right. what, Steve? Steve, can I just say that's what we wanted from Dean? Nothing more than just honesty. And he is, exactly. is yeah. He's laid down the honesty truth. I, I will ask one quick follow-up question to 2009, Dean. Uh, you scored six goals in all competitions that year. Um, which one did you have a favorite from particularly that 2009 year? Because you scored against Oldham, there's NK Dons, Northampton in the FA Cup, Walsall, Huddersfield, Brighton. Do you want to talk about the Brighton ear celebration? Uh, uh, maybe from that point. It was touchy. Um, yeah, but I'll be all right. I'm not sure we'll get many Brighton fans on here, but I'll be, I'll be all right. Um, it wasn't my favourite goal. Probably looked like it was, the way I celebrated, I must admit. As I, I think I've mentioned before, it barely touched my head. Um, I celebrated like I'd scored a half volley from about 30 yards and, and chipped the keeper. Um, yeah, got a little bit too carried away and, and went up and celebrated in front of the Brighton fans. And um, as you know, with Dean, is obviously the athletics track and it's... Um, a temporary stand the fans came down and you just got like the board in there um so yeah once i'd celebrate like that i i kind of thought mm, not the best idea I've, I've ever had really um and got a lot of abuse off the fans for the rest of the game I actually got a lot of abuse from former players um after the game um in terms of getting in contact with me players i used to play with actually like asking me why i'd celebrated like that like showing a lack of respect for the football club etc etc which I probably did, but there was a few things that went on during my time there and, and me leaving, um, which probably never sat well with me. And it was probably a reaction um, from that. But I wouldn't say it was my favourite guy. Probably most memorable, I must admit. But um, the, M- the MK Donald one I enjoyed um, at, at St Mary's. I think it was my first goal at St Mary's. Um, I think Lloyd James maybe crossed the ball and there was a, a volley at the back post from about six, seven yards. Um, but the reason why I enjoyed that was because I'd actually pulled my calf and as, as I was putting that in, as I was striking it, my calf had, had ripped a little bit. I carried on the, uh, the game and finished the game, but I limped off. Um, but I was just thinking as the ball was coming over, 
as he was about to cross, thinking, don't come to me because I'm struggling. I'm trying to balance on one foot and I've got, I've got a pulled calf. And it, it probably helped me score, if I'm honest. If I was fully fit, I'd probably put it over the bar. So, uh, But that was probably my most memorable one because it was my first goal at St Mary's. In that first season at uh, Southampton, you, you were took over as captain just three months after arriving at the club, taking the armband from, from Kelvin Davis. How did that come about? And was it a bit awkward? Because obviously you guys still then played together for another few years. It was really awkward at the time, I'm not going to lie. Um, it was because when you go into a new dressing room, you go to a new football club, you're trying to prove yourself not only as a footballer, but as a person as well. And you just kind of want to allow your football to do that. And suddenly I got the added pressure of, of now leading the team and being captain. And obviously, Kelv was still club captain, um, but it was kind of taking the armband off him, which is, I feel as I was captain, is the privileged thing to do, is the best thing to do, be able to put the armband on and lead the team out. Um, Kelv did the other things which were really important he'd done brilliant as well and he was fantastic club captain he really really was um, but it was awkward and it was a conversation with Alan Pardew he called me and Kelv into the into his office didn't know what it was about if I'm honest didn't have a clue sat us both down and and kind of just went through and explained it all and the room went reasonably quiet I must admit because I was in a little bit of shock and I think let's be honest Kelv was probably pissed off um, but Pars just wanted someone on the pitch to be able to interact with the players a little bit more, to maybe interact with the referee um, and try and sway the referee on certain decisions. And it was difficult, obviously, Calb to do that because he's in goal. And me playing centre of the pitch, um, being captain previously at other football clubs, kind of suited the role, really. But, yeah, it was interesting. I must admit that the next couple of days, walking back into the dressing room before training, it did go. It did fall quiet a few times. So I'm sure there was a few conversations going on about me. I must have been. So was yeah, there, was there little clicks in the dressing room? So like after that had happened, you walk in and like, oh, it is the new lad. Three months in, he's got the armband now. Who does he think he is? Not clicks, but a few stares and a few whispers and a few quiet conversations that right. went even more quiet when I walked in. I wouldn't say clicks, and it was all. It was all fine. It was fine. And it was I, I understood it. I did. You know, Cal was the, the main guy in the dressing room and a big influence on people and very well respected. Um, so I, I completely understood it. And it was, look, it was up to me to persuade the boys that, one, I was good enough to play in the team and, and two, to take on the responsibility of leading them on, on the pitch, really, um, which hopefully I did. Um, but, yeah, it was... Um, oh, mate, look, I'm not going to lie, it was tough. It was probably one of the tough, toughest things I've had to do because I, I wanted to do well for the football club and I wasn't going to turn it down to, to, to be captain. I love being captain of my former clubs and to lead a, a club like Southampton was very, very special. So, but it was, yeah, it was a few uh, quiet moments. <laughs> Just on the topic of captaincy quickly, like you, you were Southampton captain, you've been captain for other clubs as well. Is there something that makes a good captain? Because you were also on the pitch when our current captain, James Wall-Prowse, scored his first goal for the Saints. Like he's, I think, an outstanding leader on, on the pitch. But is, is there qualities that you, you, you need and do you see that within Prowsey as well? Yes, I definitely see it in Prowsey. Um, I think you have to be selfless. I think you have to be very considerate of others. I think as, as captain, um, you're very aware of others as well, how you can help others out um, during matches, during training, on and off the pitch. I think as captain, I can only talk on my behalf, I try to lead by example. I'm not saying I ever did any amazing speeches or rallied the, 
um, the players before games with amazing information. Um, but in terms of leading by example on the training ground, um, I would try and do that to the best of my ability. Um, game days, again, lead by example. If something needed to be said on the pitch, I would say it. If um, something needed to be done, I, I would do it. Um, but yeah, I think selfless is the biggest thing. You've got to, you've got to maybe put, maybe to the detriment of yourself as well, you put others before you, but for the benefit of the team. I think that's a big quality in a captain. Mm. I mean, obviously that captaincy led to uh, the last bit of silverware being won by Southampton, Dean. Uh, an amazing moment. I remember it clearly 2010 because it was my first day on Radio 1. That's how I remember it. I was uh, oh, all little, my mates. little plug there. I'm name dropping from Deacon. Thank you. We we all heard the clang. We heard the clang, but we all, we'll edit that out. However, but I just, I, I wanted to be at Wembley as a Southampton fan. I wanted to be there amongst that 73,000. Um, you mentioned earlier about being quite calm and collected when you wanted to take a penalty. You did so against Norwich in that penalty shootout, which was incredible. But that moment of, of leading a team out, uh, it, it, what, what was that like going to Wembley, feeling the pressure of all, every Southampton fan wanting to win some silverware? Amazing, um, but nervous as well. Um, I never used to get really nervous before games, um, but I think that was probably the biggest biggest occasion of my career and probably the time where I did feel nervous. And it was more the walking out before the game. You know, you walk out into the pitch to start with. Um, my mouth went really dry, I'm not going to lie, at, at that moment. And my legs felt very, very heavy and the pitch looked huge thinking, oh, crisis. <laughs> and then when you come out to warm up and you see your family and your friends and a bit of expectation from them and trying not to thinking, oh, I don't want to let them down um, on such a big occasion. And as the game got going, you, you forget that. But it was, um, there was some nerves. I remember, the, you know, you go back into the dressing room, you get changed, you do your talks, you're, you're waiting to go out and warm up. That felt like it went on for ages. Usually it used to, used to fly by and there wouldn't be enough time to to prepare yourself that dragged it felt like it dragged anyway um but no brilliant day very very proud moment to be to, to walk out um the team with so many Southampton supporters there it was a sea of red and white and I've, I've said it in many interviews before when we we pulled up in in the coach before the game there was just Southampton fans everywhere and from that moment we knew we were going to win there was no way we weren't going to win the, that game um and obviously to win it in the style we did was was brilliant because you could actually being falling up at Wembley, you could enjoy it a little bit as well. So it was fantastic. Fast forward into the 2011-2012 season, that final season in the championship. Have you got any standout memories? Or even though you finished as runners-up, you got promoted, is there any niggling regrets in there that you didn't win the title? Yeah, huge regrets. I'm not going to lie, Steve. Losing to, to Reading at home was probably why we didn't win uh, the league. There was other defeats and draws and lack of form and dip in form. But I think that moment where we, we went one nil down, we come back one all, Ricky scored in the second half. We actually played really, really well. And then we ended up losing the game 3-1. Um, that was hard to take. Um, the two draws against Portsmouth as well was were, were hard to take, especially the one at home where I think Billy Sharp scored in the 85th minute, something like that. And then Portsmouth scored last minute with a left foot volley. I think Norris scored with a left foot volley, which probably my man on the edge of the box as well, which uh, hurt a little bit. Um, so they're, they're the moments you look back with regret, but there's not a huge regret. We got promoted from League One into the Championship and Championship to, to the Premier League. So fantastic memories. The opening day of the season was always good. I'm not just saying it because I scored, but it was 
it was good. I must admit, enjoyed that. And scoring my left foot is always a memorable occasion. Um, beating West Ham at home was was brilliant. Um, but the last game of the season as well, you know, beating Coventry 4-0 um, was, was very, very special. Because you don't, a bit like Wembley, you don't usually get moments where you can really enjoy them. They're usually really tense and um, there's loads of anxiety and nerves around it until the last minute. And it's almost a relief when the, the whistle goes. But we were 4-0 up and Coventry relegated, I think, that day as well. So we knew we'd won the game with 10, 15 minutes to go. So, yeah, it was, it was good, really good. I love the fact, Dean, because we mentioned it earlier, that Leeds win, uh, it was two years after Saints beat West Bromwich Albion in the opening day of the season. And now it's been nine seasons since we've won an opening day. <laughs> so there's not many players who can say at Southampton in the last 15 years. I was I won on the opening day of the season, which was an incredible game against Leeds United. And oddly enough, that is our next uh, matches against Leeds. Um, but uh, I've just made the connection. That's all I've done. There's no question coming there, Dean. It's just, that's all I've done in my head is I've made the connection. Uh, no, I did want to ask about the, the players that came in that season. Gullida Prado, uh, Stephen Derrida, Jose Font. Uh, Jack Cork, uh, also Luke Shaw was just coming through the ranks. In terms of the players, um, who, who stood out for you? Who was you said there were no clicks, but who was your go-to uh, teammate? Well, the players I play with, fortunately, I mean, you name some of the players were, were unbelievable. The best player, it's hard to pick out because there were so many good ones. But Adam Lalana was ridiculous. Um, best player I played with, and I played with some special players in my career. Been very fortunate, but. Amazing player, um, not only because of his ability, but the way he worked as well. Worked so hard in training to improve himself. But you've got Morgan Stein, you say Jose Fonte, um, Ricky Lambert, Calvin Davis, Jason Punchin. David Connolly had a big impact on the, on the dressing room. I know he had his injuries and didn't play much, but he set certain standards. Radhi Jaidi was the same, set certain standards because of the experiences they'd had. Danny Butterfield was an experienced player, played in the Premier League and was a brilliant player as well at right back. I'm going to miss players out here, which I apologise for, but you, you say Luke Shaw was coming through. Oxley Chamberlain had been there and then been sold to, to Arsenal. James Ward-Prowse was coming through. Um, Callum Chambers. Um, loads of players were, were coming through. So, you know, Billy Sharp came in and done a, a brilliant job. Jack Cork, like you say, what a career he's had. And, you can't you can't forget Gully de Prado, can you? Because just um, he's a one-off, one-off. Could be the best player on the pitch, or could look like he just doesn't really want to play football ever again. Um, but brilliant guy, um, technically brilliant, really fun around the dressing room as well uh, and the training pitch. Um, loved a cigarette as well, which was which was interesting. Um, <laughs> but good guy, and, and the, the dressing room was brilliant. That was one of the reasons why we were successful successful because. The dressing room was was fantastic. Now it wasn't quite the, the fairy tale of getting back to the Premier League, Dean. You loaned back to Brighton that season and then eventually joining Leicester. But you did win promotion again from the championship and you did play in the Premier League eventually. What was that like? Was it driven by just a hunger to to prove yourself at the top flight? Yeah, exactly. That's the just uh had a still had a point to prove. If I look back on that reflection, it was probably quite a good thing for me. Um to 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 kind of that was my career goal to try and get to the Premier League. Um, and if it happened at Southampton or playing the Premier League, if it happened at Southampton, who knows what would happen. But having to kind of rebuild, I went on loan to Brighton, had a, a decent season there. We went got to the playoffs and lost in the playoffs semi to Palace. And then getting the move to to Leicester, one promotion with Leicester, and then got that opportunity 
to play in, in the Premier League at Leicester was was brilliant, and we all know what they went on to to achieve. So I was I was fortunate um, to get that second chance, but I was driven by that. It, it, it did really. I looked at myself as well. I had, I'm not going to lie. I probably had six seven weeks of blaming others, and like you do as a footballer, and get pissed off. And um, but not at Southampton, more myself um, for not taking that opportunity. Um, but it was brilliant when it actually happened. It was, and I felt, if I'm honest, I felt quite com- comfortable at the level. It was just my body ended up um, letting me down. I had a lot of injuries and I was getting a bit older. I, I didn't get to the Premier League till I was 32, 33. So I was hey, coming. I just towards- turned 33. It's not that old, mate. <laughs> I was coming towards the end anyway, mate. So, um, but no, an amazing experience to be able to achieve that. You, you boys, I've seen the picture, which we spoke about earlier uh, on social media about you at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and you were wearing that mustard number, uh, Steve. And I think you pulled it off, mate. Thanks, Come on, man. You pulled I it appreciate off. it. Yeah. I f- <laughs> thing is, I don't know if you, if you guys are like this as well. When you get to a particular age, I can't wear certain stuff anymore. I feel like I've had to like scale up my wardrobe to be a little bit more adult. No more skinny jeans, really. <laughs> And I've got to try and wear collars as much as possible. <laughs> Chokers are no, out now as well. Yeah. <laughs> you wait till you get kids. You really don't care. It's just <laughs> anything that's clean. If that's clean, I'm putting that on. Let's go. Just, just quickly, Dean, with that that uh, leaving Southampton, what what really pushed it? You were saying about your age and like maybe injuries hampered you at time to time. Were certain players that taking positions? You say Schneidel and Jack Cork was in there. Like, how did that actually kind of come about? a long process I didn't see it coming to be honest with you when I came back uh, for pre-season I came back really fit we just had our um, our first son so our second child but our first son so I didn't go away that summer so I'd actually worked really hard during the summer and got myself really really fit knew and I would have to anyway we also had Corky Morgan we signed uh, Stephen Davis as well um, Richard Chaplow and, and Prousey was coming through you know Prousey was the, the player that the club really wanted to, to push through, and rightly so, because you'd see the careers having now, um, future captain playing for his country. So he's an unbelievable player. But when he came through, I think he was still 16, 17. Um, and I knew my options were going to be limited. And, and Nigel was, one thing I say, Nigel was always honest, pretty honest with me, which was good, which was helpful. Um, I could have stayed there and thought I was going to get an opportunity, and I probably wasn't. There was a few moments where I was told I was going to have to change squad number which was kind of the writing on the wall. And then I didn't change squad number. So it was kind of playing with my mind a little bit, thinking what's going on here, what's not. There was a couple of opportunities where I could have moved on when a club didn't allow that. Um, but I was encouraged to, to kind of maybe seek another club as well. So a lot of confusion. Um, but ultimately, it was because the quality of the players were at the football club and I was a little bit older. Was I the future of the club? No. Um, did the, if I'm honest, I don't think the club thought I could play at that level. If I'm totally honest, I think there was doubts over whether they believed I could play in the Premier League, which is fine. Football's all about opinions. Um, but mainly the main reason was Prowse was coming through and they wanted to play him. And look at it, rightly so. It was a good decision in the end. You mentioned there about Nigel Adkins, one of the managers that you played under. Um, also, Alan Pardew, you mentioned. Uh, Adkins is an absolute joker. I don't know if he was. He's so positive. Like the, the first interview I ever saw of him for Southampton was when someone said, what's the most famous name you have on your phone? And he paused. He went, Nokia, which I think is hilarious, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, top bloke. He seemed really positive. Um, out of the managers at Southampton, who, who was your favourite to, to play under? 
Well, I'd have to say Nigel because of what we what we achieved. Um, but I I enjoyed playing under Pards as well. Pards was interesting. You know, you knew he was the manager. You knew he was in charge. Um, and if you were playing well, he would bring you back down. I think that was his way of managing to try and keep your feet on the ground. Um, I think I played well a whole season and a little bit under Pards and probably got one bit of praise off him. But when he did praise you, it meant the world because it wasn't a regular thing. Um, but Nigel, I enjoyed playing under under him because of the way we probably played the football. And that came as well. Andy Crosby, Dean Wilkins as coaches were were brilliant. They did all of it on the training ground, really. Um, but yeah, look, back-to-back promotions, playing with the players that did, the atmosphere at the training ground was, was brilliant. And you're right, it was positive all the time. But I think it's quite easy to be positive when you're winning most weeks, isn't it, really? So, yeah, it's uh, not too difficult. But because I was also going to say that, that obviously... Uh, he then got replaced with uh, Pochettino. We're talking about the 10 years. That that was a real, I couldn't believe it as, as a Southampton fan. I thought, well, Nigel's doing really well. I don't I don't understand what's happening. Um, obviously, you went at the club, you went and played for Nigel at Sheffield United on, on loan. But what was that like from a, a player looking at that thinking, I mean, obviously it worked out well, but at the time, what was what were your thoughts? I felt sorry for him. I felt it was a little unfair, but this is football. Um, and I kind of expected it to happen. Um, I'd heard a few rumours. There was a few whisperings going on that there was um, that the chairman wanted to bring a new manager in and go in a little bit of a different direction. Um, so I wasn't surprised, but probably surprised at the timing, really, because um, I think they just they, they drew Chelsea, didn't they? And then, then, yeah. then Nigel let go. I was on line at Brighton. Um, so it was an interesting one for me because Brighton at that and Southampton at that time didn't get on. And Gus Poyer and Nigel never got on, never saw eye to eye, very different people. And I, I, I've not seen a bigger smile on Gus Poyer's face when, when he heard the news. He couldn't wait to tell me. I remember we was in a training <laughs> session. He pulled me to the side to tell me. And oh, did you hear that Nigel had been sacked? Um, so, yeah, it was, it was interesting. But look, the club's just gone on to bigger and better things. So you, you can't question it. You can at the time, but look, that's football. It's a business at the end of the day, and they made a good decision. Post-playing career, Dean, I follow you on social media. I see that you're a, a big advocate of positive mental health and looking after yourself from the inside out. Um, one of your posts mentions about um, that your outer world, so like money, success, fitness, that's a result of your inner world. Was there a time in your playing career or even just after it, where you did feel a bit lost and, and what changes did you make to, to combat that to the place you are now? Felt hugely lost. I had a real difficult period, Steve, after finishing because it didn't finish well for me at Sheffield United and I didn't face up to that and handle that too well. Um, had an issue with drinking for, for a while. Um, very reliant on, on alcohol to make me feel a, a certain way. Um, and again, didn't understand that. Um, so I struggled. I struggled massively. Um, after because I didn't know all I'd known is football that was my identity as a person so I think what I've done is I've become very aware of myself and tried to understand myself at who I am um, and trying to find out what I want in life um, because of what I enjoy and who I want to be and not because that's who I'm supposed to be if that makes sense not what necessarily is expected of me just actually who do I want to be so it's taken a lot of digging. It's been it's been quite brutal. I'm not going to lie at, at times, um, but I'm glad that I've been through that experience now. And um, lots of players are going through it, and lots more players are speaking out about it, which is which is great. Lots of players still don't feel comfortable to do that. So it's down to us as former players to 
try and create that that space and environment that people feel um, relaxed to to talk about it. Because the biggest thing I ever did that helped me was have a conversation. That was it. It's great. It's great to hear, and I'm glad that more players are, are finding that space to talk about it. For because for a while there was a stigma that you just you got to toughen up and just carry on. So um, so I'm glad that you're able to do that, Dean. And uh, thanks for sharing some of those memories of the club. Um, Steve and I thought about how how could we end the conversation uh, with Dean Hammond, and we thought. I know a quick fire question round. That was a brilliant idea, Steve. Yeah, yeah. So we called it Hammond's Hot Picks. So there's uh, there's ten <laughs> there's ten questions. Ten because of ten years of Southampton in the Premier League. Just first thing that comes to your head, Dean. That's it. That's all we want to know. And Tom will go back and forth asking you these. Well, we don't. Sometimes I always find not the first thing that comes to mind, always <laughs> because of you know being professional. Because we know you're a very professional man now. You know you have your your football pundit, property investor, family man. So just bear all of that in mind, Dean. Is that all right? <laughs> I'll try my best. All right. So here we go. Hammond's hot picks. Uh, Dean, number one. What's your favourite food? Oh wow, um, curry, Indian. Favourite movie? Shawshank Redemption. Oh, what film? Favourite holiday destination? Oh, Mexico. Do you keep ketchup in the fridge or cupboard? Fridge. Oh, that's disgusting. Why would you put, <laughs> uh, why would you put cold sauce on hot food? Rank. No, uh, it always goes in the fridge, Steve. Look, we can't reply to the answers. You're not allowed to judge me, Steve. Come on. You can't judge okay, me. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. St Mary's or the Amex? Ah, oh, St Mary's. Chippy order? Uh... Collins chips. Is that it? That's very dry. Any curry sauce, mushy peas? Uh, no, yeah, yeah, mushy peas. I had it, actually I had it on Friday after I went and watched cricket and Sussex cricket. So yeah, mushy peas as well. Uh, can I just quickly ask, salt and vinegar on those chips as well though, Dean? Oh, loads. No, loads. it's good. Because I've met yeah. someone the other day who doesn't put salt and vinegar on and I literally, that's friendship over. Carry that's on, strange. Steve. That's, yeah, that's strange. Other than a house, what's the most expensive thing you've ever bought for yourself? Oh, mate, you're going to, well... Apart from a car, um, never bought a car, actually, only leased it. This is not a quick answer. Um, Outright cash, you've gone, boom, there you go. There's the dollar. <laughs> Pick and mix. Pick and mix. <laughs> That's expensive nowadays. I'd probably go, do you know what? I don't buy myself a lot, but a night out, I would say, when I was drinking heavily. There's a few that, yeah, I wouldn't want to look at that bank statement. What's the biggest tab? You can't ask me that question. Can't ask that question. But Micah Richards, did you see that on Sky Sports when he was Not asked? as much as that. Believe okay. me, not as much as nowhere near as that. So let's not get carried away. <laughs> right, um, I'd probably say a couple of thousand. That, that's, that's fine. That's fine. I've spent that on the Monopoly That's a standard board, Saturday night out for Tom and I. A couple of grand. <laughs> a couple of Gs down Tiger Tiger. <laughs> the problem <laughs> is, it's when you can't remember spending that much. That's, yeah. that's where the... Uh, yeah, that's the problem. That is dangerous. If you had to punch one ex-teammate in the face, who would it be? Oh, wow. You can't ask me that. Sort of okay, question. you can choose where to punch the person. Maybe on the arm, <laughs> like a dead arm. Oh, no, I wanna, I, do you know what? I want to try and answer this. Um, oh, how long you got? <laughs> uh, not, not, because, not because I disliked him, right? This is yeah. not because I disliked him. Only because he used to absolutely take the piss out of me when I was younger. So Charlie Oakway. But I wouldn't punch him in the face because, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he would fill me in. Where but would you yeah, punch him? A little, <laughs> little bell tap? Nah, square in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> if you could be a professional at one other sport other than football, what would it be? Tennis. I was actually quite good at tennis when I was younger. Yeah, so tennis. Will you like, subscribe and share this podcast, Dean Hammond? Yes, I will.
Okay, good. Fantastic. Dean Hammond, thank you so much for being on We March On with Steve and Tom. We loved having you, mate. That was excellent. My pleasure, guys. My pleasure. Well, there we go. Dean Hammond, the one and only. What a guy. What a gentleman, may what, I say. Yeah, what a lovely, lovely bloke. I wish we'd asked more questions about that that particular famous goal against Brighton. Mm. I feel like we could have picked apart there a bit more. But it, what, a, what a top bloke. Really nice. And opening up about the difficulties of mental health after football. Yeah. I thought that was just just amazing. That You just think that footballers have it easy mm-hmm. when they, you know, and, and they don't. And it's great. He's such a great ambassador for the club. So Yeah, it was- fantastic. feel very lucky to... to- Speak to him on a regular basis is always very, very pleasant. Uh, really good chat whenever I get to speak to him on Saints Live. So massive thank you to Dean Hammond once again for being our first ever guest on We March On. We've started strong, maybe too strong. I will, I will say that. Also, uh, if you want to find out how you follow uh, the one and name is Dean Hammond, we will put that at the bottom of the podcast, which you can check out. Yep, indeed. I believe it's Dean underscore Hammond on his Instagram mm-hmm. and Dean J Hammond on Twitter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just in case you wanted to know, instead of having to read. I know a lot of people don't really want to read nowadays. (laughs) That's why they're listening to a podcast. Otherwise, they could read a book, Tom. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Anyway, uh, before we pass out from the heat (laughs) and the delirium in this room, uh, we have to mention... Uh, a couple of fan comments. We haven't got any yet. They're not emailing us. If you do want to get any to us, you can do. It's wemarchonpod at gmail.com. But there's been a few on Twitter, haven't there, Tom? Yeah, there has. And we like to keep a, an air of professionalism at the best of times. <laughs> uh, and uh, if you're thinking of a, a romantic uh, moment that's coming up for a loved one soon, don't forget the Ferrer Rocher Tort. Uh, that is who is sponsoring today's episode. Uh, Nathan Newington said, Brighton Squad, talking of Dean Hammond and, and uh, mentioning Brighton, Brighton Squad is no better than ours by the way just very well managed oh i think i know where nathan's going with that That that's a little dig there Uh, jake wade i saw this message said sign some experience interesting because you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast about how that 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 youth is fearless whether experience comes with a bit of caution Mm. and maybe tracks their man back i mean we saw alan shearer dig out uh, valerie Mm. (laughs) on match of the day come on over valerie i mean he was too smug about that joke wasn't he too sm- good. No, it was it was average at best. But yes, uh, an interesting uh, argument. Sign some experience. Well, look, transfer the the the, the window's not closed yet, so there could Still be a couple got of sides. A few weeks, haven't we? Um, next up, it is Leeds at St Mary's first yeah. home game of the new Premier League season. Are you going to be in that number, Tom, on Saturday? Unfortunately, not. Uh, I don't leave the house on a, on a thirteenth. Uh, call me superstitious, <laughs> but I just don't. Um, I I would love to be. I'll be checking in. Uh, be listening probably to um, uh, Solent uh, and, yeah. and catching the game there. But uh, that's because I'm gigging in the evening. I can't do both. Fair, fair. But but I'm 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 excited. I'm also nervous about it because I think if we lose to Leeds, a, po- a possible team that could be in the relegation battle, uh, I think people will be mm. definitely tweeting a little bit more about Ralph out. But hey, calm. That will only be 36 games left. We still got a chance. True, and also it'll be probably about 36 degrees oh. on Saturday. 
Um, so there is a bit of sunshine, yeah, which is good. So uh, regardless of the result, the weather will be nice. Yeah, a load of Yorkshiremen self-combusting in the St Mary's <laughs> Stadium. No, thank you. Have you got Yorkshire tea? Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. I'm a big fan of Leeds. I think they're fantastic. But I hope Dean Hammond is right with his prediction 3-1. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Anyway, uh, that's it for this week. Join us again when we'll have more Southampton chat as well in future episodes. Um, make sure to follow us on all of the social medias at We March On Pod. And until the next time, play us out, Saints Brass. <laughs>